What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three children staying up late to prove the existence of Santa Claus with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I really want to replace my friends Austin and Keith with Muppets. I'm Keith Baker, and we have a lot of musical numbers to cover on this episode. And I'm Austin Terry, and Mariah Carey's Christmas will always be a banger. Couldn't agree more. On today's show, of course, we'll be returning to one of our favorites, our bracket format. This time to answer that age-old question, what is the best holiday movie? But before we get into all that good stuff, I want to know, we've done enough of these now, what kind of holiday movie would you want to be a character in? I would like to be in Santa Claus 4 with Tim Allen, and I'm going to take Noel's job and be his next assistant. He's had Curtis, Bernard, Noel, and then now he's going to have Keith as his assistant. Guys, I guess this is the perfect transition. I have to update you. We only have one more episode of the Santa Clauses to go on Disney+. And last week's episode was the Bernard-focused episode. Whoa. Was it worth it? I guess so. It was pretty good, I guess. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I know what movie I don't want to be in, and that's uh, It's a Wonderful Life, that's for sure. Ugh, God. Well, I mean, I know you like you don't like that movie. I love that movie, but I can't agree that I don't think I would want to be in that world either. It, it seems kind of sad, especially if you're old George Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody talks like a robot who's never actually heard a human speak, but this is what they think a human sounds like. <laughs> I think a dream of mine is, at least by Home Alone 9, I have to play one of the intruders going into the house. I have to experience the McAllister-esque traps firsthand. And you know what? Since it's only going to be a one-time gig, I will do my own stunts. Like, I will, like, get electrocuted. I will have my skeleton be shown to the audience. I will fall down a hole and pay honor to my hero, Daniel Stern, and go, wow, what a hole. <laughs> and, I mean, I'll, I'll do it all. I'll do it all. I want to walk away from that set with my body relatively broken for the rest of my life. <laughs> well, I, I think it just sounds scary to be the intruder in one of those movies, yeah. because even if you're like as safe as you can be with the stunts, in some fashion, somebody is getting hurt yeah. on the set of that film. 100%. <laughs> Without further ado, let's go ahead and get into our main topic of today's show. This is now our third year doing a best holiday movie bracket, which that alone is crazy to think about. But it's pretty simple and works just like our other brackets. The three of us each pick four movies for a total of 12 to pit against each other to see what comes out on top. And this time it is no different. Last year, we felt we were already kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel to find some good holiday movies. And this year, we tried to mix it up a little bit more with four fun subgenres of holiday movies to put our picks into. We have a good variety of classics, family fair, that cynical style you often see paired with the holiday season, and three adaptations of a classic Christmas tale. So I think we'll have some different conversations today. Maybe they're not all hits. Maybe some of them are bad, but I think the conversation will be good. That's what I'm hoping for anyway. So Austin and Keith, how about you tell me a little bit about what went into selecting your movies today, as well as what your overall experience was watching these in preparation. Yeah, for me, I tried to pick a bunch of movies I had never seen before, um, but were supposed to be pretty good holiday movies. I also tried to go with a bunch of movies that are the kind of the non-traditional holiday movies, because... The traditional ones, I feel like you get the same story over and over. So I wanted to get some different stories, some uh, some different takes on Santa Claus, different takes on the holiday season. I will say overall, my experience this year, I think it was more positive than last year. I do think when you have a bad holiday movie that bombs, it's a slog to get through. So it'll be fun to talk about some of these. But overall, I think we have a pretty fun list this year. Yeah, picking mine, uh, I think two of them out of the four uh, were ones that I've seen before. One was very old, and another one is uh, somewhat newer. Probably came out in the last four or five years. 
Um, and then the other two were just ones where, honestly, I went on Google and typed in best 100 Christmas movies of all time and kind of just chose at random for the other two. But yeah, I think we have a pretty diverse list. I know we were kind of uh, worried before this bracket because we, you know, the other two brackets, we had picked probably the most popular ones. So we were kind of like, man, like, what, which ones are we going to do this year? But there's still a lot out there. So um, I think we were able to gather up some good ones. Yeah, this man. I mean, the holiday movies, as maybe the audience knows, is definitely my favorite bracket to do. And I always get it's always the hardest for me to pick some because I always feel like I'm leaving some out. Even going back two years now, there are some that I wanted to put on that initial list that still two years later I haven't gotten to put in for whatever reason or another. Uh, this year, I wanted to get something like kind of brand new in there just to kind of shake things up a little bit to see if like a more modern telling of certain stories would be better or worse. Um, so that was something I was consciously thinking about. I wanted to pick another classic like I did last year, because I think that also kind of in the same way can lead to more interesting conversation. And then the other two are just some favorites of mine. One is like a legitimate favorite, one that I love and I, I always watch it the holiday season and it just makes me feel good. And then the other one I acknowledge isn't certainly not a great movie, but in the context of what it is and what it's a part of, I don't want to spoil it yet. I I think it's way better than a lot of people do. And even if you guys disagree, I still think it'll be fun to talk about. So I thought that would be a good one to add to the list. Um, but overall, I'm definitely with Austin. I think I think we felt good going into last year. And then for whatever reason, even though there were some hits on there, we just came away like, oof, I don't even know if we can do another holiday bracket. <laughs> I mean, I think this is kind of it. We've uh, hit 24 and I think we're done. I think the best thing I can say is after watching these movies, there's certainly some that I didn't love by any means, uh, some I didn't like on here. But overall, this made me go, OK, there is enough kind of different stuff out there that whether or not we do this again, uh, it doesn't really matter. I just think this made me feel like, OK, yeah, this this is a better list, more diverse, like Keith said. So I'm pretty happy here. Overall, definitely had a good time watching these. And I have an idea already for next year's holiday bracket because we've done three of these now. So I think we could take the four semifinals from all three years and put those in a bracket. That's a good idea. We might have to think about that for our Halloween bracket next year, too. That's a very good idea. Yeah. So stay tuned for one year from today, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, good stuff. Glad that overall we're all feeling pretty positive. That's good. Um, so in the past, our criteria for the holiday movie bracket was pretty simple and I think self-explanatory. It should basically be something that represents the holiday in some fashion and be of quality. Um, so there you go. Pretty easy. Uh, but I wanted just to say that real quick and put that out there because I wanted to see after you guys watched all these, is there anything we need to add this year for something to get your vote and move on? Is there anything criteria wise that we should consider differently? I think obviously for this bracket, representing the holidays, getting you in that holiday spirit is, of course, very important criteria. But I think also for me, every time we do this bracket, I always give extra points in my mind to movies that do something different, something that surprises me and something that either makes me laugh or makes me think differently about the holidays and kind of sticks with me in that manner. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I think that's something that I might give extra points here and there today, too. If it's something that is of that quality, does still make me feel that holiday spirit. But if it's kind of different and doing something new, I think that deserves extra credit for sure. And I think, too, that the interesting thing with kind of giving extra points to the ones that do different stuff and nail it, if we then have a more traditional one that still nails it, despite telling kind of the same story that all the other ones do, I think that even sets the classics and the traditionals apart from the rest of the pack here, too. Yeah, very well said. Very well said. All right, Austin. So we just talked about our past criteria. We added a little bit of new criteria. Now it's time to move forward, I guess you could say. 
we ran through the ghost of Christmas past, added a flare of the Christmas present, and now it's time to get into the yet to come. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited I got to watch A Christmas Carol three times this year. I know you are. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, by the end of those three viewings, I was a fan of Ebenezer Scrooge before he changed. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Humbug. Uh, before we get started here, we won't be repeating any of the movies we submitted the last two years. So I definitely recommend that if you haven't listened to our previous holiday movie brackets, uh, you should. They're really fun. Uh, so really quickly, though, in case you don't want to or you need a refresher, I'll run through the movies we talked about on those so you aren't left wondering why the hell we aren't talking about some of the more obvious picks. So we've already covered The Nightmare Before Christmas, Klaus, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, The Polar Express, Jingle All the Way, Scrooged, Home Alone, A Christmas Story, Die Hard, The Santa Claus, Christmas Vacation, Elf, The Holiday, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, The Santa Claus 2, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Better Watch Out, and in the Apocalypse, Four Christmases, Christmas with the Cranks, Love Actually, It's a Wonderful Life, Krampus, and Fred Claus, Austin's favorite. So again, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to get our thoughts on those and to see how they fared and their respective holiday movie brackets, go check those episodes out wherever you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. So with that, let's leave the past behind and get into this. Keith, how about you let the audience know about our one seaters today? All right. For our one-seaters today, we have White Christmas for the family side of the bracket, The Ref for the more cynical group of movies, The Christmas Chronicles for some different takes on Santa Claus, and The Muppet Christmas Carol for our various A Christmas Carol adaptations. So Keith just told you all the one-seaters for this bracket. Anything that wins in our first wildcard round will go on to face one of those films. And getting into that wildcard round right away, we have our first matchup of the family side of the bracket, and it is Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas going up against Home Alone 3. All right, perfect. So Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas from 1966. This was directed by Chuck Jones and Ben Washam. It stars, of course, Boris Karloff as the Grinch, and it tells the story of the Grinch, who tries to ruin Christmas for the townsfolk of Whoville below his mountain hideaway. All right, and Home Alone 3 came out in 1997. It's directed by Roger Gosnell. An eight-year-old boy must defend his home from a dangerous band of international criminals working for a terrorist organization. Okay, so I made a grave mistake <laughs> going into this episode, and I accidentally rewatched uh, Jim Carrey's How the Grinch Stole Christmas mm. instead of the classic Dr. Seuss's from 1966. So I am going to recuse myself from voting for this round Whoa. and let you two figure this out. But I will give you my thoughts on Home Alone 3 once we get into that part of the matchup. All right. Well, I respect your integrity, Austin, as always. Um, yeah, I guess I'll start off then. Dr. Seuss's version of The Grinch, certainly one that I remember watching all the time as a kid. It's only like 25 minutes. So even as you get older, it's certainly easy to watch. I think in the past, whenever I've watched the Jim Carrey version of The Grinch, I'll usually like maybe watch the animated one before or after just to, you know, have some fun and see how they adapted it. Kind of a cool thing. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I like it, I guess. The music's fun. I like Boris Karloff's voice, but there's not a whole lot of meat on the bone. It has a great message, of course, by the end, something that I, I think certainly kids um, would appreciate and should learn, kind of that whole giving nature and all that. And like, you know, the, the gifts themselves aren't what's important. I think that's all great. It's just, I don't know. I just don't have a whole lot to say about it. <laughs> um, whereas Home Alone 3, that was the movie I was kind of talking about in my little intro about how I pick my movies. I don't think this is a great movie. In terms of like quality, is it like of the same quality as the first two. I don't know. I think you could debate that. 
But I think in a lot of ways, I enjoy this one more in an interesting way. I kind of like Alex D. Linz's character. I like him being a little bit younger than Kevin McAllister. So kind of like some of the kid sensibilities he has uh, makes a little bit more sense on why he's doing what he's doing. And I love the whole nature of like rear window. He's homesick. So it makes sense why he's home alone. It's not like his parents accidentally left him at home. So I like that aspect. And I just have a lot of fun with it. And our group of criminals here, are they as good as Harry and Marv? No, definitely not. And is it goofy that they're part of a criminal empire? Of course it is. But I I just have a blast with this movie. I don't know what it is. I think it's so fun. I think the performances are great. The slapstick nature is just as good, if not better than the originals. And I don't know, man. I think in in many ways, Home Alone 3 might sneakily be my favorite Home Alone movie. I uh, just to get into Home Alone 3, uh, I will say even though I didn't watch the right Grinch movie, Jim Carrey still slaps as the Grinch. I'll go. just throw that out Good there. Good to put that out there. <laughs> Home Alone 3, I, I had never seen this movie, uh, for one. So going into it, when it starts off, I was like, oh, this is, we're, gonna, we're in for a rough time here. Because it just feels like <laughs> a remake without any of the heart from the first two movies. Um, and then as we get into it, I, I was expecting them to basically tell me the same story. So the fact that they change it up with him being homesick, like you called out, all of that, like it, it takes a while to get into the story, I feel like. But once it gets going, it does have some super fun moments. And I do think the third act with all the traps getting sprung is funnier than the first two movies. So I, I had a great time with that ending. Yeah. I mean, just to speak on what you said about the Grinch, Matthew, it's only 25 minutes. It's one of those that, you know, it's a classic. You got to respect the classics. But I think it's just one of those movies that came on a lot. You know, come on every Christmas, kind of like a Christmas story comes on every every year on ABC or whatever channel it's on. But yeah, the stories I think the story's cute. You know, the Who's and Whoville and all that. It's 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 all fun. The animation's funny, like you said. The uh, the voice of him is really is really cool and kind of daunting. But going into Home Alone three, I just had such a better time with this one. I, I thought uh, the character of Alex was really funny. Like you said, he's a little bit younger and he's a little bit goofier than Kevin was. Um, but you know, just as smart and I think his booby traps in this are, is actually like a little bit more violent than Kevin's was. Yeah. A man gets run over with a hedge cutter. It's violent, obviously, but they present it in a way that doesn't feel as egregiously violent as Home Alone 2, where, I mean, one of the things that Kevin does in Home Alone 2 is he literally stands on top of a roof and just throws bricks at Harry and Marv's head. So <laughs> yeah, of course it's, it's crazy to think about it like a lawnmower, a hedge cutter, like going across a guy's head, but the way they show it, where it just like falls down the hole, you hear the scream and then you just see like the thing like jangle around and then it cuts back and like his hair is cut off. It's like, okay, of course that was violent, but at least it was kind of goofy and funny. If they had done that in Violent Night, though, the guy Oof. would have been decapitated. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would have been bad. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Home Alone 3. So I already know where I'm voting. If yeah, I was just going to say, go. I mean, well, I th- it sounds like we're going to be talking about Home Alone 3 more later because it's certainly going to get my vote. Again, all respects to the classic version of The Grinch, but Home Alone 3, I think, is surprising. It's fun and it has a bad reputation. Uh, from when it came out, like people said, oh, this is way worse than the other two. And I'm like, I just don't see it. I think this movie is really fun. So it gets my vote. Yeah, it's crazy. This movie has a four out of 10 on IMDb. And for a, a reboot remake with none of the cast wanting to come back from the originals, somehow they found a way to tell a new and interesting story. All right. So Home Alone 3 will go on to face White Christmas in round two. All right. So next, we're moving on to the more cynical side of the bracket. So basically the exact opposite of what we just did with the family side. And this is going to see the night before go up against Home for the Holidays. So first, The Night Before came out in 2015. It's directed by Jonathan Levine, and it stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Seth Rogen, and Anthony Mackie. Three childhood friends who annually reunite on Christmas Eve are giving it one final shot to find the best party in New York City. 
And then we have Home for the Holidays, which came out in 1995 and is directed by Jodie Foster. The film stars Holly Hunter, Robert Downey Jr., Anne Bancroft, and Dylan McDermott. Claudia Larson, who after losing her job, kissing her ex-boss, and finding out that her daughter has plans of her own for the holidays, departs Chicago to spend Thanksgiving with her dysfunctional family. I'll, I'll, go, I'll start with Night Before. I kind of feel the same way with The Grinch on this one, though. I don't really have a lot to say about it. I had a good time with it. I like that it's leading, they're leading somewhere to the party, and they have like a destination they're trying to get to. Um, and then going to Home for the Holidays, I got to say, this, this one was r- probably going to be one I, I'm going to be fighting for here on the bracket. I love this movie. I love really? it. I thought you're, yeah. you're whenever crazy. You pause, whenever you pause, like I think like there's like an R sound. I thought you were gonna say, ooh, this one was rough. And I was gonna say, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I I think you're crazy. I think this movie's horrible. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, I mean, that's the segue right there, Austin. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. I don't think it's I don't think the night before is an insanely better movie, but the night before has moments I can point to that I find fun, whereas Home for the Holidays has so much weird stuff about it that there are parts that I think flow nicely and there's some nice character moments, but overall, there's too many cringy moments, like Robert Downey Jr. is taking naked photos of his sister for the majority of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, it just, a lot of it felt like either I wasn't in on the joke or was totally missing something, because I think until the final act in this movie, you're just cringing for the entire film. Yeah. I definitely don't feel as strongly about it as Austin, I guess, or Keith on the opposite side. I, I guess I'm in the middle with Home for the Holidays. I definitely didn't love it really at all. I do agree with Austin. There are certainly some nice character moments and things to like about it. I guess I just didn't get enough attached to Holly Hunter as Claudia Larson. I, I felt like I should have. Um, and I appreciate the whole dysfunctional family element. That's something that we talk a lot about um, on these holiday movie brackets. That's something that's kind of a trope you see in holiday movies. Um like kind of a level-headed person, so to speak, going into that dysfunctional environment. And in that sense, there are a lot of good moments. But there was just too many moments that I felt were really bizarre that didn't really have much payoff. I mean, you have Geraldine Chaplin playing, I think, like one of their aunts who has dementia. And like, they seem to imply that, I mean, she's in love with, with the patriarch of the family and like they kiss and stuff. And it's like, okay, is, is, is there something significant to that? Um, or like the really weird conservative family who hate Robert Downey Jr. because he's gay. And then it's like, is there's no real resolution to that. You know, I, I liked a lot of the moments, but it, I guess it just didn't really come together for me. So I'm excited to hear before I move on. Regardless, I want to hear more about why you like it, Keith. And then just real quickly with the night before, because I don't have too much to say about it either. I really don't like this movie too much either. I guess I like it a little bit more, maybe. I don't know. Um, I, I like the chemistry with um, JGL, Seth Rogen, and Anthony Mackie. They kind of are each on their own separate storylines in the movie, even though they are together for a majority of it, which is kind of cool. Unfortunately, I don't really care much for Joseph Gordon-Levitt's story or Anthony Mackie's. I love Anthony Mackie, but his storyline with like the steroid use is kind of interesting, but then his story revolves around Alana Glazer stealing his weed a couple times and I think it's so not funny and just not enjoyable to watch at all. The heart of the movie doesn't fully work, but I like where it's going with like Joseph Gordon-Levitt having lost his parents and like every Christmas since then he gets together with his friends, but they're kind of moving on. And so this is the last time they've mutually agreed, but you can tell that he doesn't want it to end. So there are some nice emotional beats that come from that. 
Um, the best I can say about it is Seth Rogen absolutely kills it in this movie. He's so funny. He is in it. so funny in this movie. I was laughing so hard at the scene where he's tripping at the dinner table and he's like getting the dick pics and he's like trying to rationalize. <laughs> Maybe I am going to suck this dick. I mean, it's nice. And then how that kind of dovetails into the James Franco follow up scene later. I mean, it is just like out loud laughter um so his stuff was the best i wish i wish the other stuff was better but he was great yeah and that's kind of what i was getting at is with the night before the overall movie isn't great but there's really fun moments and home for the holidays there's not really any joy in this movie and i'm not saying every holiday movie has to have joy but i just kept waiting for the resolution or or something beyond the fact that these two are going to go get together like is there going to be an appreciation for your family and it just felt like it felt like there was one piece missing where they, they had a moment to make it all come together and it, it just never got there for me. And and like Matt said, they introduced all these plot points that don't lead anywhere and it just, it left me feeling like I just wasn't in on the joke or, or any of that stuff and I felt very disconnected to this movie. I, I think I agree with a lot of the points y'all made, made though. Um, is it a perfect movie? No. And that's not, not what I'm saying at all. I think why I liked it so much was I, I think I appreciated the um, the awkwardness to it. I think what you guys saying is your your problem with is kind of what I did like about it, like the fact that it didn't really go anywhere and that there was all these like just uh, open ended plot lines that just yeah went nowhere. Um, but I think I just kind of appreciated the dysfunctional family aspect. Everybody's kind of crazy. The old dad, the old mom, the old aunt. Holly Hunter has doesn't really know her place in her family. Neither does Robert Downey Jr.'s character. But overall, I think I really enjoyed the humor and like just the craziness of the family gathering around the table and. And just everybody not getting along. I appreciate awkward humor. So that's kind of why I liked it. Yeah, before we vote, I think hearing you explain it that way, Keith, does certainly give me more of an appreciation for it. Um, because maybe they kind of left it open like that because all the characters acknowledge, even after all their fights, that they're going to be back together again in a few weeks for Christmas. So there is an interesting element of like the movie is leaving it open, but this family is going to have to continue this like vibe or do this whole thing all over again for Christmas or the next holiday. So in that sense, I kind of like it. And I guess you kind of hope that maybe after they now that they've gotten all this shit out of their system at Thanksgiving, maybe in a year, a few years time, maybe it will be a bit more of like a happy, joyous thing when they get together because they kind of understand each other more now. Maybe that's what the movie is trying to leave us with at the end. So in that sense, maybe I do appreciate it a little bit more. Um, Yeah. So it's interesting. I, I, you know, I guess I'm with Austin. Ultimately, I just didn't find it very enjoyable, but I, maybe I do appreciate it a bit more than when I initially watched it. And especially at the end uh, with Holly Hunter and her sister, she's like, hey, like, we don't have to like each other, but we're going to love each other. And we're going to see each other at least three or four times a year. So we might as well, you know, just try to try our best when we, when we do see each other. And that was the overall message I got from the movie was like big ass families, extended families don't always get along. And then, but you know, and in the end, you're still family. That was the message I got. So, yeah, I think it's a good message. All right. So, let's go ahead and move on here. So, let's go ahead and lock in some votes. Um, I guess I'll go first. Um, Keith did a good job of giving me a bit more of an appreciation for Home for the Holidays. Um, but I just, yeah, not enough to make me feel good about voting for it because I just didn't enjoy it enough while watching it. So, even though I don't love it begrudgingly, I will vote for the night before. Yeah, I will happily vote for the night before. Uh, get home for the holidays out of here. <laughs> All right. So, Keith, I imagine you'll be the sole vote there for home for the holidays. Yeah, it's, but it's not taken in by a long shot. OK. Anyway, home for the holidays. Vote for me. All right. So the night before, we'll move on to face the ref in round two. 
And then moving into our next matchup, we have our Takes on Santa wing of the bracket. Uh, we have Get Santa versus Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale. All right, Get Santa came out in 2014, directed by Christopher Smith. Stars Jim Broadbent, Rafe Spall, Kit Connor, and Warwick Davis. After Santa Claus is arrested and jailed, a recently paroled prisoner and his young son attempt to save Christmas before it's too late. And then we have Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale from 2010, directed by Jalmari Hilander, stars Oni Tamila and his father, Yorma Tamila. In the depths of the Corvin Centuri Mountains, 486 meters deep, lies the closest ever guarded secret of Christmas. The time has come to dig it up. This Christmas, everyone will believe in Santa Claus. I couldn't find a better <laughs> description, and that one's not very good, but I'm still excited to talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, so Rare Exports was one I had always heard about but never seen before. It is the scarier telling of Santa Claus who comes to abduct children who have been bad. Um, I think there's some really fun mystery moments to the story. I don't think it ever executes it effectively, but I think there are some really fun parts of the story to point to. And then Get Santa was another one. that I've seen it before a couple of times. Oh. I think the best part about this film is Jim Broadbent um, as Santa Claus. But beyond that, like my favorite moments are the fish out of water stuff with Santa Claus being in prison. Uh, beyond that, though, this film doesn't necessarily stick the landing for me. Yeah, interesting. Um, I had never seen either of these. I hadn't even heard of either of these. Um, I'll start with Get Santa, I guess. I complete agreement with Austin. Jim Broadbent as Santa Claus is a great choice. Uh, never would have thought of that. And I thought he was fantastic. Kind of just the whole like fish out of water element, like you said, with him going into prison is something I never thought I would see. And it, it led to some really like funny, scary and like sweet emotional moments whenever he's like, you know, kind of connecting with the prisoners. But I'm also in complete agreement that everything outside of that is kind of the whole run of the mill paint by numbers Christmas movie. Yep. I like Rafe Spall a lot and pretty much everything he's in. I like Kit Connor a lot. I like their pairing as father and son. I liked that the movie ended at just... I don't know. There's just not a whole like a lot of standout moments in between there besides Jim Broadbent. Rare Exports, on the hand, other hand, is kind of interesting. Um, it sounds like maybe I liked it even more than Austin. I'd like I said, never heard about this one either. Certainly like kind of the more traditional, not not even like horror movie, I guess maybe like a thriller movie on the list. And I actually like those mystery moments really hit for me. And yeah, th this movie was absolutely bizarre. The whole element like in Lapland, like this mountain is the secret burial ground for like the original, like ancient version of Santa Claus who's coming to kill everybody um, was really interesting. They unearth him on accident, of course, and then he starts going on this rampage. But the whole like Santa Claus versus the elf element is what like pleasantly surprised me about the movie. Like I thought like they had captured Santa Claus and it turns out, oh, no, these are just his bands of elves that are coming to kill you all. <laughs> I was like, oh, OK. Uh, and then beyond that, um, similarly, with like if that's like the Jim Broadbent thing that I really liked from Get Santa and this is the thing I really liked about Rare Exports, the thing that would give me like the boost to Rare Exports is I also like the family dynamic outside of all that stuff. I like the father son uh, relationship. It was kind of subtle. Like clearly there was a loss in the family relatively recently. Their relationship is kind of distant. Um, but as the movie goes on, it feels like a bit more like a realistic portrayal of like a family coming together. Um, and I like the action moments, too. So it's a movie that kind of tackles a bunch of different genres. Um, and I think ultimately it worked pretty well. I think this might be one of my favorites on the list today. Yeah, Rare Exports definitely nails the atmosphere. Totally agree with you on that. I just think there's some I was always hoping for more, I guess, from the kidnapping and all that. Like it, it tends to wrap up very quickly. But overall, for telling me a new Santa Claus story, I thought they nailed all of that stuff. Yeah, Get Santa, 
for me, I'm kind of with you, Austin, and really didn't do a whole lot for me except for the Jim Broadbent stuff. He was really, you know, the star. Of, I think he really stole the limelight. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed Re-Exports, though. Very bizarre movie. Very creepy. Kind of a different take, like we talked about with Violent Night, you know, on Santa Claus. That he, you know, he used to be a Viking and all that. So I think it, it kind of uh, coincides with that in a way that, and the ending was very weird that these elves are pretty much just bought. Uh, by this one guy to become Santa Clauses <laughs> all over, like malls, I guess, or something. <laughs> yeah, so it was very business related. So that was that was it was funny. Uh, I enjoyed it a little bit more than uh, Get Santa. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't want to speak for all of us, but it sounds like we might be talking about rare exports a little bit later. So if you want to move on, because I'm definitely gonna be voting for that. I, I I enjoyed Get Santa for what it was, but Jim Broadbent stuck out as the only thing that I actually like, really loved about it. Everything else was fine. So rare exports easily gets my vote. Yep, I'm always going to vote for the movie that tells a different story than every other Santa Claus story, so I'll vote for Rare Exports. <laughs> Me too. All right, so next, uh, this side of the bracket is a bunch of Christmas Carol adaptations, like Austin hinted at earlier. We have uh, <laughs> some that fit into that mold. Surprisingly, we had three of them, so it made sense to just pair them together. So, guys, it's Spirited versus A Christmas Carol from 2009, so what you got? All right, so we have Spirited, which came out this year in 2022. It's directed by Sean Anders and stars Will Ferrell, Ryan Reynolds, and Octavia Spencer. The ghost of Christmas present is nearing retirement, which would mean a return to Earth. He sets his sights on an unredeemable man, a man who may end up helping the ghost come to terms with his own past. And we have A Christmas Carol that came out in 2009, directed by Robert Zemeckis. It stars Jim Carrey, Gary Oldman, and Colin Firth. A very literal retelling, word by word in many places, of Charles Dickens' Christmas classic, animated through the use of motion capture. All right, yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, I'm a big fan of A Christmas Carol. Like, I love the book. I love seeing it on the stage. I love seeing it adapted. So, yeah, I just love the story of it. I saw the Jim Carrey Christmas Carol in theaters, uh, I guess in 09, and that was the only time I ever saw it. I hated it in theaters. Um, And this time, I liked it more... I can certainly say that Robert Zemeckis' animation team in the motion capture did infinitely a better job of making this hold up than his version of A Polar Express. I know Austin loves that movie. I'm not begrudging him there. It's just I I hate the animation of the movie. It doesn't hold up to me. But I love the music. Yeah, I know. The music is great. (laughs) I think this this actually held up a lot better than I thought it would 13 years later. It looks relatively good. Um, I love Jim Carrey's Scrooge. I love how he plays all the ghosts as well. It's kind of a fun element of the story. Gary Oldman's very good. All the acting's great. I love all the voice work and how the characters actually move and look in the world. It's, it's weird to say. I guess my issue with the movie is it is such a literal retelling of the story that, and that story is from like almost 200 years ago now. I don't know. Certain things get a little bit lost. Some of like the emotion, some of like, the motivation, just some of the dialogue gets gets a little bit muddled because certain things, I guess, read differently or meant different things back then. Like you can still grasp the story, of course, and what characters are saying, but there's just a bit of a disconnect from it, like for me, because of that reason. I definitely liked it a lot more this time, but I don't know. I, I still don't love it. And I'm not exactly sure why. Spirit, on the other hand, I watched this um, on Thanksgiving with my family and it is too long. It is two hours and 10 minutes, and that's a big no-no. I don't know why this movie is so long. Um, But despite that, we had a really good time with it, and I really appreciate it. I know Austin loves different takes. I'm curious if you agree, but I thought it was like a really cool, fun twist on the Christmas Carol story, kind of it being like the ghosts themselves are just this business, and they pick one person every year to go in and try and save like they did for Scrooge back in the day. I think that's like a really fun just element of the story and having Will Ferrell as the ghost of Christmas present trying to save this 
one, you know, curmudgeon guy, Ryan Reynolds. Um, it led to some really sweet moments, some really funny moments, uh, some emotional stuff, um, and a really, like, I think kind of powerful ending that I didn't expect. So um, I, I didn't love Spirited, but I, I loved it enough that I'm definitely going to watch it again. So I, I really appreciated it. So what do you guys think of these? Yeah, Spirited feels like it was tailor-made for me as someone who likes when movies break away from the traditional holiday story. On paper, I think this is a really cool premise. Uh, execution for me with Spirited was not there. I thought every song was terrible. Oh. None of the jokes hit for me. So a two-hour and ten movie with no music or comedy that I enjoy was a hard slog to get through. Um, versus the 2009 Christmas Carol, which I just thought was really beautiful. I thought the animation was incredible, yeah. held up really well. Obviously, it's the classic story, so you know exactly where it's going to go. It's beat for beat. It's very literal to the book. But I think it stands the test of time, which I think is important for an animation movie. I think Jim Carrey as Scrooge is a perfect casting. Um, if it didn't have Jim Carrey, I'm not sure if I would like it as much. Um, but going up against Spirited, this is a pretty easy choice for me. Yeah, Spirited. I really liked the first half of this movie. Um, and like you guys just covered, uh, a really cool premise, really cool idea. I did appreciate most of the comedy in it, uh, but more in the first half for sure. But this one just went way too long for me. I was just, it was one of those wrap it up kind of movies, you know, like, all right, wrap it up. Let's, let's get it done. There was a lot of songs, way too many songs for me. I agree way with too that. Many. There was too many. I definitely liked the music a lot, actually, but I, I agree that there was too many. And Will Ferrell uh, cannot sing. That might be the most my ears have bled in a long time. I thought it was the singing okay. didn't bother me. Yeah, the singing sing didn't bother me too much. But and the songs went on for a long time too. So that's my negatives with Spirited. Really cool idea and appreciate the comedy. Appreciate the music too, but just too much of it. Um, Christmas Carol. Um, I really liked. I think what really stood out for me on this one was the animation. I really, I really liked the animation. It was super trippy, I mean, especially when he's falling into all the. Uh, Different settings of the past, present, and future. It looked really cool. And then, like you said, Austin, the voices were really, uh, were really good as well with uh, Jim Carrey and uh, Gary Oldman and even Colin Firth as his uh, nephew. Mm -hmm. So really appreciate it. I think I'm, I'll probably be uh, voting for A Christmas Carol. I'll go ahead and vote for Spirited. Um, I don't think it's going to move on. So just like a last couple things I'll say. I just love how expensive the movie looks. Like... I kind of appreciate that each song feels huge and it's like all the dancing, like all the huge background dancers, like the amount of people like involved was kind of fun for me. I enjoyed like the scope of each one. Um, and then I like I said, I love the ending of Ryan Reynolds uh, taking up the ghost of Christmas present role. <laughs> I, I thought that was funny and kind of a sweet resolution for somebody that, you know, couldn't necessarily change. But now he's going to spend his life helping other people change. So I thought that was really sweet. And then the last thing I thought was a fun twist to reveal that. Will Ferrell is a Christmas present was actually Ebenezer Scrooge in a previous life. Thought that was kind of fun. Didn't expect it, so I enjoyed that. Oh, really? I like the second this movie opens, I was like, "Is he Scrooge?" It felt very obvious yeah. to me. Yeah, I guess I missed it. Maybe I missed some of the, the clues there. Um, but yeah, so I thought that was fun. Um, I'll go ahead and vote for that. But go ahead and finish off the voting, boys, because I think I know where we're going. Yeah, get out of here, spirited. No. A Christmas Carol gets my vote. <laughs> So, A Christmas Carol, Jim Carrey and Robert Zemeckis' version will go on to face A Muppet Christmas Carol in the next round. All right, so let's get right into round two. Uh, we have White Christmas going up against Home Alone 3. White Christmas came out in 1954, is directed by Michael Curtis, and stars Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye, Rosemary Clooney, and Vera Ellen. 
A successful song and dance team become romantically involved with the sister act and team up to save the failing Vermont Inn of their former commanding general. So I guess first, I mean, I think the place to start is White Christmas is, you know, I think the oldest movie on our list. Had you guys both seen this before? Because I watched it for the first time last year. This is my first time seeing it all the way through. Same. Yeah, I think I'd watched bits and pieces of it as a kid. So for me, when I first watched it, like, I think that element of movies back then, like Singing in the Rain, stuff like this. I, I appreciate how they kind of in the middle of it will just break out into like song and dance. And yes, they're kind of extended sequences. So I know like by today's standards, it can be a little bit like, do we need all these? Like we maybe we could have trimmed this a little bit. I can respect and understand that. Um, but removing that element for me, I just found that I really enjoyed the characters. I think Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye have like pretty fantastic chemistry. Um, and then I think the thing I like most about the movie is the story itself. I love kind of how they just accidentally stumble their way into following these girls to Vermont to potentially like perform with them or hang out with them or get to know them more. And it turns out the inn is owned by the, this former commanding general that they both like really admired and respected. And it kind of just turns into helping him kind of save this inn. And it has like a really like beautiful ending where they honor him. So I just was kind of blown away by the story because I never, I didn't even know what the story was really about before I watched it for the first time. So what did you guys think? Did it kind of hit for you in the same way it did for me? What stood out there to me is you saying you didn't know what the story was about because I don't think you learn what this movie is actually about until an hour and a half into the film. It takes a long time to get to the main plot, I felt like. The first half of this film to me is just moving from musical number to musical number and that kind of makes it feel like a slog. When you actually get to the actual story, I think it's very... Interesting, very compelling, lots of great chemistry. All the relationships, I think, especially for a 1950s movie, are very sweet. Uh, there's nothing like creepy or, or like outdated here. I just think the first half of the movie really, really is hard to get through for me. And that's kind of what's detracting for me. Yeah, before you go, Keith, I, I was curious about that too. Because um, it's, like, it's like a two hour movie on the dot. And I was, when I was watching it on Netflix, I pulled it up and it takes 40 minutes for them to get to the end. And that's kind of where things finally kick into high gear. So I can, I can respect that. That, that first little bit is a kind of a little bit slow, a little bit slow going. So yeah. What'd you think, Keith? Yeah. I, I, I see your point. I think the runtime is definitely a negative for me on this one as well. Uh, it being two hours, I think it, they definitely could have cut it down to at least an hour and 40, you know, musicals are tough for me in any way <laughs> they, uh, come about. But I think this one, this one, uh, I definitely enjoyed a lot. A lot of the songs, probably most of the songs, and the and like the and the dancing in the backgrounds whenever they're actually performing is really good. And, and like I like the the uh, choreography of it. They do tend to repeat songs though, especially in the first half. Like the sisters will do one, and then the yeah. Bing Crosby will sing the exact same song, and it's mm. like, oh my god, I already heard this. Yeah, like, let's move on here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I gotcha. And then I like the I like the ending with the uh, the general. It was really heartwarming. And the final production at the end was was really was really neat. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, I kind of like the element of the movie that it's like, you know, around the holiday times, you'll try and do these like grandiose gestures and like in order to give somebody something good, whether it's like a tangible thing or an experience. It's kind of what that's how I connect to this movie, like on that whole like Christmas level, which I which I enjoy. And now how the hell we bring Home Alone 3 into this? I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> a very odd pairing. <laughs> My logic for this matchup is going to be pretty simple. I'm going to pick the movie I just had the most fun with, and I had way more fun with Home Alone 3 than I did with White Christmas. Very fun movie. Home Alone 3, guys, everybody out there, it's underrated. You got to check it out. Don't listen to the critics on this one. 
It wouldn't be an Arnie's bracket if we didn't have a widely uh, critically panned movie moving pretty far into I the mean, bracket. I mean, if you recall, last year's matchup was It's a Wonderful Life versus the Santa Claus 2. <laughs> Santa Claus 2 <laughs> won. <laughs> um, I guess I'll jump in here. Yeah, I, I can't fault Austin for that. Home Alone 3 is just a fucking blast, in my opinion. Um, I think ultimately I'm leaning towards White Christmas because basically for all the things that you said that you didn't love about it, those things did stick out to me, but they just didn't bother me as much as I guess I would say. Yeah, like some of like the repeated songs throughout is like, okay, yeah, we could have cut that here and there. I think Keith nails it. This movie could have been like a like perfect hour 40. If they just like lost 20 minutes, I think we would have been golden here. Um, but yeah, I just think the movie is so sweet. I love how it's presented. And the same thing with Spirited. It's impressive to see a movie from like the 1950s that feels so grand. And those like um, when they're on the stage, like you're looking around, you're like, oh, my God, like this is all like this farmhouse. Like, how did they do this? Like, it's so huge, this production. It's it's really impressive and fun to watch. I like the music as well. The dancing back then and like performers like that that were triple threats, I always think is so cool. I mean, they're just so good at what they do. Uh, and like I said, the story was really like powerful and heartwarming and it kind of gave me those holiday feels and represents it in a good way so i think i'm gonna vote for white christmas all right keith you have the swing vote i think our first swing vote of the night so we have one vote for white christmas and one vote for the masterful home alone three i think i know where i'm leaning so yeah home alone three i'm with you austin had a lot of fun with it uh white christmas i'm with you matthew really appreciate it but where do i go to make my decision i think i do have to lean towards white christmas Oh. <laughs> Reason being, while Home Alone 3, I think, is just as good of a Home Alone movie as the other two Home Alones, I think the other Home Alone movies actually are better. The other two Home Alone movies with Kevin McAllister are better Christmas-wise. Yeah, they use the, they use the holiday itself a lot more in those ones. Where you kind of forget about Christmas sometimes in Home Alone 3. Um, and White Christmas definitely captures the Christmas spirit especially at the end with doing something charitable for the general. Don't you think it's pretty charitable, Keith, to save the country from getting shot down by a missile? Yeah, Keith. Fuck oh, you. <laughs> my bad. The scene, with the, the scene with the Air Force general shaking Alex D. Linz's hand at the end is just <laughs> su such a crazy thing to think about. <laughs> Thank you for your service, son. <laughs> it's a weird matchup, but yeah, I think I'll, I'll vote for White Christmas. All right, so White Christmas will move on to our semifinal round. So, guys, let's return to the cynical side. All right, for our round two matchup of our cynical movies, we have The Ref going up against The Night Before. The Ref came out in 1994. It's directed by Ted Demi. It stars Dennis Leary, Judy Davis, and Kevin Spacey. A cat burglar is forced to take a bickering, dysfunctional family hostage on Christmas Eve. Yeah, so The Ref is one I submitted. I had never heard of this movie, um, but it repeatedly appears on like some of the best non-traditional holiday lists of all time. Uh, it's always up there in like the top 10. Uh, so I was super excited to watch this one. I got to say I was blown away yes. by this movie. Absolutely loved it. It does have that cringe humor that we talked about with Home for the Holidays uh, in the first round. I think this one just nails it a lot better. And the third act of this movie is some of the funniest stuff I've ever seen on film. I was could not stop laughing my ass off. I had such a blast at this movie. Yeah, me too. This movie is a lot of fun. Uh, Dennis Leary, man, he's the king of like playing an asshole and being like the most impatient person ever when it comes to anything. Yeah, really, really cool movie. Yeah, I had, um, this is one that I've always heard about, but I'd never watched it for whatever reason. I'm glad I finally did. And the bracket gave me a reason to. Yeah, I'm with Austin. This one was fantastic. Uh, one that will I will have to add to my list to watch in years to come i thought it was so good 
Um, it nails that balance, despite at the outset seeming like, oh, I guess this is just going to be like like an R-rated, you know, like black comedy type thing. Um, I'm down for that, but I guess we'll see how it pairs with the holidays. But as it goes on, you do get um, a lot of the tropes that we typically see, but just done better, I think. Like we do get that same like home for the holidays dysfunctional family thing. We do get um, like people around the holiday time, uh, whether it be a marriage or a relationship, it's kind of falling apart. And then, of course, by the end, they're going to be back together again. Um, it, it does all that like stuff that we see in a million different things, but it just contextualizes it better here. Um, and overall, just like from a story perspective and just like a pacing thing, I, I love how we start the movie with the couple with like B.D. Wong <laughs> in their therapy session. And clearly, you know, therapy is great, but like this style of therapy is clearly just not for them. It's just not like how they need to resolve their problems. And, you know, Dennis Leary isn't trying to, but as the movie goes on, he's like inadvertently helping them through their issues too. Like he's just being direct with them. He's not doing the like a therapist thing of like, I'm not here to take sides. It's like, well, no, we need to know when we fuck up and when we don't. And in, in this couple's case, and Dennis Leary does that for them. And so like once he starts like being direct with them, you start to see them slowly come together over the course of the movie. Ultimately, of course, like often said in the third act leading up to when the son is tied up in the closet upstairs and Dennis Leary has to ingratiate himself and pretend to be a doctor as like the rest of the family comes <laughs> over. Um, God, it's just so good. I'm so glad they didn't cop out also. Like they could have just had Dennis Leary get caught at the end. But the fact that he gets away and like the family helps him do it and like they all become friends at the end is I don't know how they pulled it off in a way that felt like strangely not comedic, but more realistic than anything. Like, I don't know, man, like this has to be a Christmas classic, I think. I mean, it's it's pretty great. I love the escalation of this movie, too, where it starts off as, oh, it's just a simple burglary. They're going to be hostages. And the way it it moves up to he's now having Christmas Eve dinner with this family that he's taken hostage. And then the mother that we've been hearing about the whole film shows up and she's just as bad as they all make her sound. You get to see the rest of the extended family. Like, I, I like that everything they've been telling us for the whole movie actually comes to fruition and we get to see it play out for ourselves. Yeah, that's a good point. It does sound like the ref is going to move on unanimously. The last thing I want to say about the night before, before we, I guess, kind of say goodbye to it. I actually do think this is one you appreciate as you get older a bit more. Especially from the context of it's three friends who have all grown up together. You know, you try to continue your, your Christmas traditions and all that, and it gets harder as, as life becomes kind of bigger and, and you move on to other things. I've, I can kind of see that a lot, even with like our own friendship. Like we have our own holiday traditions that we do every year and it gets harder and harder to schedule that stuff. So I think it is one that is pretty reflective of adult life as you kind of grow up with your friends. That's true. Yeah, I definitely liked it a lot more on this viewing. So maybe that's why, just because you get older and can relate to it a little bit more. I, I definitely don't dislike it. I think there's a lot to like. And I think what I, yeah, some of that heart stuff that you talked about, Austin, kind of hit me as well. Um, so some of those moments work with when it comes to like Joseph Gordon Levin, like Lizzie Kaplan's relationship, I don't care as much. Um, really, if, when I go back to this movie, I'm going to be looking forward to those comedic beats, like the scene where he's in the, 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 the uh, church and he looks at the kids, like the little babies and starts freaking out. <laughs> I guess I would put it like I would never put the night before in my top 10 Seth Rogen movies, but I would put it on my top 10 Seth Rogen performances, if that makes sense. He's yeah, so he's funny. awesome. He's so funny it? in this. <laughs> Good stuff. A lot to like about the night before. Certainly, if you haven't watched it since theaters like we had, I think maybe it's worth a rewatch. You might like it more. but. I mean, yeah, I got to give my vote to the ref. Uh, it surprised the hell out of me. All right. So the ref will go on to face White Christmas in the semifinal round. 
So next we have The Christmas Chronicles going up against Rare Exports. The Christmas Chronicles came out in 2018 and is directed by Clay Caddis, stars Kurt Russell, Darby Camp, and Judah Lewis. Kate and Teddy, while trying to prove Santa Claus exists, accidentally cause the sleigh to crash and the presents are lost. As Christmas morning approaches, it is up to the children and Santa to save Christmas. Yeah, I'm curious to hear your guys' start here because it sounds like I liked Rare Exports the most out of us, so I'd be curious like, if you like the Christmas Chronicles more. So what would you guys think? Yeah, this was my first time uh, seeing the Christmas Chronicles. Um, I think the obvious standout for me is Kurt Russell as Santa. I love that he has a whole kind of different vibe from your traditional Santa Claus. I think he's super fun in the movie. I love his jazz number in the prison. I think there's a lot of like individual standout moments in this film. Um, I don't know if the story necessarily flows into a great cohesive movie. So like there's fun moments, but but I think the story does tend to drag at times. I do think it's a bit too long. It does get very predictable. It's, it's your traditional holiday beats. Uh, but the standout for me is Kurt Russell doing kind of a different take on Santa Claus. Yeah, I know it's, yeah, like you said, Austin, I know it's very traditional, but something about this one really clicked with me. I don't know. It might, might have been the performances. Yeah, Kurt Russell, for sure, as a different Santa Claus. The kids' performances, too. They were both really good. Um, and I like the like the magic that they do in this one with the, how the sleigh works and how he uh, jumps from house to house looks really cool. I think overall the story flowed really well for me, and uh, so I enjoyed it. I want to go, go see the second one now. Yeah, the second one I remember being fun. I can't remember a whole lot about it. Um, I watched the first one, I guess, when it came out on Netflix a few years ago. And I, I'm with you guys. I, I enjoy it. I don't think I, I like it maybe as much as you guys, but I, I, I certainly think it's fun. I think Kurt Russell, of course, unsurprisingly, is the standout. But I also think Darby Camp deserves a shout out as well as Kate. I thought she was fantastic, great young actress. Um, the thing I like is it's hard to do the whole, I think we already talked about it. I think we talked about it with Get Santa earlier, like doing the whole proving Santa exists, particularly to adults, can be kind of goofy. It's like, how do you really handle that? Like, shouldn't they believe already whenever they see like the sleigh or reindeer? Like, why is it taking so long? Here, I thought they did a better job of putting it into the context of the story. Like, I liked how um, it was it was a bit more emotional, like whenever he's trying to get this cop to be on his side. Um, it kind of turns into the cops like wanting to believe him, but he doesn't until it's like, well, what's my one wish? And it's like, well, reconnecting with your ex-wife. And then that's eventually happened. So there's a bit more like sweetness tied to the whole like getting an adult to believe in Santa Claus. So I appreciated that. It felt more realistic and it kind of gave you those holiday feels. So I like that. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I guess I think Austin kind of mentioned it. It's whenever you look at it as like an entire package, that's where maybe it, it, it drops down in my rankings a little bit. Like whenever it gets to like these thugs like stealing Santa's bag or whenever it gets to like introducing the elves and bring them into the equation, it gets like it goes from like really serious, like, oh, are they going to kill these kids to like really goofy? And sometimes that transition doesn't flow super well. Um, but yeah, I like it. It's just maybe it could have used a few extra standout moments to make it feel super memorable. Although I do like the ending when basically he reveals that the hat wasn't actually like magical. He didn't really need it. It basically just you kind of realize, oh, I think Santa saw something in these kids and he saw that they kind of needed him as much as he needed them. So he kind of just goes along with the night and the plan uh, in order to kind of raise their spirits because they need it after their father passed away. So there's a lot of sweet moments. Uh, I want to like it more than I do, I guess, is my only issue with it. I think I totally agree with what you're saying. I, I really want to like this movie. There's great individual moments you can point to, but as a, a total cohesive movie, it doesn't really nail it for me. The thing with Rare Exports is, it's a very slow burn. It's a thriller. It's a different holiday movie, but it never shies away from the premise it's trying to point to. It doesn't get to that like kind of 
classical Santa stuff. Like they literally stick dynamite in Santa and blow him up in this film. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it, it just executes on its vision. And for being a different story, like nailing the thriller moments or some very creepy moments, I'm just going to give extra points like we talked about in the intro for doing a totally different holiday story um, and still telling me a very interesting, engaging premise and mystery. All right, cool. So, Keith, it sounds like maybe you liked Christmas Chronicles the most. Did you like it enough to put it over Rare Exports? I think I'll say this. So I think Rare Exports is one that I, I, I can see myself watching again, whereas Christmas Chronicles, I may watch it again later on, but not, you know, not in any hurry to do so. But I think I definitely appreciate Christmas Chronicles more so in the in the Christmas holiday aspect. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to throw a vote to Christmas Chronicles just because it kind of gives me that that more of that holiday spirit. Rare Exports is one I'm excited to show to people, too. Um, I got to know this, though, Keith. Is your ideal Christmas morning being surrounded in a horse pin with a bunch of naked elves? No, I don't oh. think so. <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't know that about you, so I'm glad that I do now. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, this is an interesting one. I think I like Christmas Chronicles, but I'm going to lean towards Austin. I, I like what Keith is saying. It's like Christmas Chronicles, without a doubt, I think when it comes to criteria, kind of fits that traditional holiday spirit. and that representation of Christmas more. So I, I appreciate that and I want to reward that, but I just think Rare Exports is the better movie. And I feel like Rare Exports, I guess, does enough for me just by having, you know, the legend of Santa Claus being at the center of its story. Like it doesn't even really feel like Christmas or the holiday itself is that important. Like obviously they do acknowledge it and we do see it play out, but it just doesn't feel super important. But the fact that Santa's there uh, and that's kind of the main crux of this like weird horror thriller mystery, like dark comedy like just weird crazy action movie i do think i'm gonna go ahead and give my vote to rare exports one that i'm excited to watch again um whereas christmas chronicles well i like it i don't know now that i've seen it twice if i will watch it again um not that that means it's bad it's just i don't know this one's like it more so i'm gonna go ahead and lock in rare exports and for the heartwarming side there is a great father-son relationship in this movie too that's true i also think it's funny that the bully for the final act of this movie is just stuffed in a bag dangling from a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So Rare Exports will move on to the semifinals and to find out what it will be facing, we now have a Muppet Christmas Carol going up against Jim Carrey's A Christmas Carol. All right. So a Muppet Christmas Carol came out in 1992. It is directed by Brian Henson, son of legendary Jim Henson. It stars Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge, the great Gonzo, Rizzo the Rat, Kermit the Frog, and Miss Piggy. This is, of course, another adaptation of the classic story, only this time are treated to Sir Michael Caine, surrounded by the Muppets, filling out most of the rest of the cast. So this was the first Muppets anything I've ever seen. Whoa. Interesting. Okay. That'll be an interesting perspective. Like, if you didn't really grow up with it, is it still quality? I don't know. Do you want to start? Or do yeah, you keep going to give your thing <laughs> I have a feeling I'm, I'm going to be the Scrooge of this matchup. But for me, these two aren't different films. Just I think if you like The Muppets, you're going to like A Muppets Christmas Carol. If you like Jim Carrey, you're going to like A Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey. For me, sure. I like Jim Carrey. So the Muppet stuff, it, it felt like the exact same movie, just with Muppets instead of Jim Carrey. Um, and it, it's hard to make it different because they're just you know, literally telling the classic Christmas Carol story. So I'm not taking any points away um, from the Muppets Christmas Carol. I was very impressed with the puppeteering and the way it holds up and the way they're part of the human world. And that doesn't feel out of place. Like they just, the pu- the puppeteering is so natural that I think it looked really cool. Um, for me though, I just, I kind of felt the runtime of this one. I'm not a big Muppets guy. So that wasn't, that didn't add anything to the story for me. Um, so I, I just am kind of in a weird place with this matchup. I definitely don't disagree with your point about, you know, 
when it came to Spirited, at least, that was a very different take on the adaptation, whereas these two are obviously a lot more similar. And even a lot of Michael Caine's dialogue as Scrooge is like from the novella itself, just like how Jim Carrey's was. So it's like, okay, so it's how do you differentiate it? I think for me, uh, what the kicker is, is not only do I love the Muppets, I just like love their vibe. And I love how like, yeah, they can be funny, like some of them are. But I also love how a lot of like the Kermit and Miss Piggy scenes as the Cratchit family are presented relatively seriously as dealing with a child that's dying. So I kind of love how the Muppets can fill these weird, like, um, uh, different types of feelings. It's kind of cool. In terms of what it does differently, um, I guess it's obviously going to depend on whether you like the music or not. We've been talking a lot about music today, and I really love the songs in A Muppet Christmas Carol. I do feel like they give me those feels. I think they're, like, um, the lyrics are great. Like, I don't know. They just sound really good. I feel like they're like they're paced really well. They, they can be upbeat. They can be moving. They can be kind of anything. So I like that. I like how they're placed. I like how they do the reprise at the end. So it kind of all comes full circle. And then I also like the final element I'll say before Keith goes is that I like having Gonzo and Rizzo uh, being this tag team, just kind of like following a log on the story. And I like how Gonzo is literally Charles Dickens. Uh, and he's <laughs> kind of like proving to Rizzo how this story is real and happening. And it's kind of like this weird, like fourth wall break element that I found kind of fun. And I enjoyed watching them go along for the ride, too. So, Keith, what do you think? I know you like, I guess to tease, I know you like the Jim Carrey one more than me. So does your history with the Muppets outweigh that? Who knows? I really loved Rizzo the Rat, by the way, just as a first time Muppets <laughs> yeah. person. Yeah. No, they, they were funny, especially like you said, Matt, uh, like, you know, how serious like the Muppets can get. As it was, I, I kind of laughed out loud whenever they were like, and Tiny, and Tiny Tim isn't dead. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> He's like bragging to the audience. And Tiny Tim, who didn't die. Yeah, who didn't die, is alive and well. Uh, yeah. No, I think, yeah, the Muppets, is, they're fun and funny. But yeah, I liked it. I mean, it's hard to say it's not much different than the other Christmas Carol as far as like the structure. It's the same, same Charles Dickens story. I think Michael Caine's performance is really good. Um, like, yeah. He still brings the Michael Caine to it. I mean... Like the scenes where he's like crying and gets emotional, it's very believable. I feel like if you have a kid, the Muppets Christmas Carol is the one to show them if they're five or six years old. And then a Jim Carrey Christmas Carol is the one you show them when they're like they're 11, 12 years old. Because uh, a, a Jim Carrey Christmas Carol could scare a kid, like in some, some parts. There's some creepy yeah, moments. It, it actually got criticized at the time for being too dark. Yeah. So I, I, I definitely could see that. Um, I think what makes or breaks a good adaptation of A Christmas Carol is whether or not you buy into Scrooge's um, transformation. It's why I think Scrooge with Bill Murray will always be my favorite adaptation because I just think it's such a funny, dark, like uh, different take. But like you truly do by the end, like buy his transformation. The ending of that movie is so amazing and heartfelt. Um, the one final thing I'll say before voting is it's weird to say because the Jim Carrey version is obviously, obviously such a literal adaptation of the story. But by the end, I don't fully buy his transformation. In some ways, it seems too quickly, whereas I appreciate it in The Muppets. I actually did buy Michael Caine's Scrooge um, transforming a bit more. I like how they contextualize some of it. Like whenever they go back to his school and he sees himself sitting alone, he kind of he has a line where he basically subtly admits that like, you know, because he was alone so often, he kind of equates solitude to like how he is in the present day. So like as as the movie goes on, he is kind of being a bit more introspective, which I appreciate. Whereas in the Jim Carrey one and a lot of the Christmas Carol adaptations, he's he's kind of along for the ride. And then when, once it gets to Christmas present, he's a bit more so. 
Um, but then, like, once it gets to future, it kind of just all happens at once. Like, he thinks he's going to die. He wakes up. Oh, I'm not dead. And now he's, like, a, a happy and joyous person. And maybe it's because Michael Caine's surrounded by the Muppets. But I do believe at the end that he is actually this changed individual, um, which is important to me in these adaptations. So that's the last thing I want to say before we vote, um, because that's a big sticking point to me in which way I'll go. Yeah, it's really hard to tell because these movies are so alike and it's the same story. Um, but if I had to vote, I think I'll probably go with a Jim Carrey Christmas Carol, only because it doesn't have the music in it. And that's not to say the music in a Muppets Christmas Carol is bad. Like you said, Matt, the songs are funny and they're good. I think I just like the way the story was told uh, a little bit better in Jim Carrey's. And I, and I really love the animation um, a lot. So that's kind of why I'm leaning a little bit more towards that one. So I'm going to vote for Jim Carrey's. I, I definitely like the Jim Carrey one a lot more in this viewing on my second time watching it. Uh, but ultimately, I'm going to vote for A Muppet Christmas Carol because not only do I love the Muppets, I love how they're used in this movie. I think they're used pretty perfectly. I think Michael Caine's a great Scrooge. And I love the music. I, I, I think it really works. And then the last thing I'll say, I'll echo what I just said is that I think the transformation of Humbug Scrooge to kind of a changed man by the end is much more believable in the Muppet version. I think having him be a bit more introspective from the get-go, once he gets to his past and kind of sees his young self and sees how he's going down this like kind of wrong path toward being so business-focused-minded because of his like old like headmaster or whatever, um, I loved all those little things they added in to kind of make it a bit more believable. So because of that, I prefer the transformation, so I will vote for a Muppet Christmas Carol. All right, so I guess I have the swing vote. Um, let's get wild and send the Muppets on. I think Whoa! hearing you guys talk about it, the Muppet Christmas Carol is just more fun than the Jim Carrey one, especially with the addition of Charles Dickens and Rizzo the Rat kind of tag teaming. And they have just so many good moments that they cut through throughout the film. And then also, I, I was looking through my notes while you were talking, Matt. I have in my notes that the resolution in Jim Carrey's A Christmas Carol feels very weird because all he really does at the end of that film is just go to another rich person's house for dinner. It doesn't feel like a very earned change. And I, I think maybe it is just because Michael Caine's interacting with the Muppets, but he feels like an actual different character when he wakes up on Christmas Day, whereas the Jim Carrey Scrooge still feels the same. It just feels like he's just not being as harsh with his words. So mm. let's send the Muppets on. It, it, I think it is at the end of the day a more fun movie than the Jim Carrey one. Did you guys think the ghost of Christmas past in Jim Carrey's was really creepy? Horrifying. Okay. Horrifying. Because it was literally it was literally just Jim Carrey's face and it was really bothering me. <laughs> and also the ghost of Christmas present in that movie is so annoying that he needs to stop laughing. It's like, oh my God. So that alone <laughs> that alone disqualifies. They transition us. from that to him brutally dying <laughs> to his skeleton. It's like, whoa. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. I'm up at Christmas Carol. Nobody saw it coming. We'll move on to the semifinals to face Rare Exports. All right. So let's get into those semifinals right now. Uh, we have White Christmas going up against the ref. This is an interesting one for me. I think it might be quick. I do know where I'm leaning. But I, f I still feel conflicted somehow. Is this going to be an easy one for you guys, just to set us up? I don't feel conflicted at all. The rough is way more fun than White Christmas. <laughs> White Christmas is boring as hell until the final 30 minutes. Uh, I'll vote for the rough. All right, there you go. So the ref getting a quick vote. What about you, Keith? Are you feeling conflicted at all like me, or is it kind of easy? I'm sort, I sort of am, but I'm kind of leaning with Austin that the okay. ref is probably a lot more rewatchable. It's, it's a lot more fun, for sure. 
Uh, Dennis Leary and Kevin Spacey and Judy Davis are just so funny. So I'll probably vote for that. Yeah, um, I'm with you guys. I'm ultimately going to vote for the ref. The last thing I'll say about White Christmas is um, it does feel very similar to It's a Wonderful Life. I know last year we talked about how those movies kind of at the outset didn't feel like they were Christmas movies or holiday movies until you get closer to the end. And it's like, oh, OK, I see how they're kind of wrapping it all up in a nice bow to make it a holiday movie. So White Christmas has that same thing. And I love once we get to that, like after that 40 minute mark, once it gets to kind of the main uh, point of the story, once they get to the end. And like I said earlier, it does ultimately feel about how around the holiday times we want to do these gracious things and be, like be generous and give gifts, whether tangible or experiences or otherwise, to the people that we love. And I love how they translate that in White Christmas. I think it's just so heartwarming at the end how they honor uh, their general. I love it. Um, when it comes to the ref, I, I don't, it doesn't necessarily have that element, but it does, like I said earlier, it surprised me because it does have all those like feel good moments. And it does feel like maybe it's not the same messaging as something like White Christmas, but it does have that family thing, like family should be the most important, like working on family um, and having Dennis Leary be like this weird, like pseudo therapist that somehow helps them through it. And then they become this kind of fun dynamic to watch. And like through him, they become a much stronger unit and they're able to kind of get the bad out of their lives, which is something that can also happen around the holiday time. So it's a very different movie. Uh, I think when when somebody like watches it for the first time, they go, I like this, but the messaging is, is kind of dark. But once you get to that ending, it does kind of like flip a coin and it turns a corner. It does like, wow, this is like a really good holiday movie. Like it's not the messages I thought it would be. But once like the credits roll and you think about it, it's like, yeah, that is like kind of a, a sweet story to tell around the holiday time. Maybe it's not the one people want to hear, but it's an important one to tell, I think. Yeah. With like all the family stuff was great. I also think the ref uses its holiday premise better than White Christmas does because yeah. this situation wouldn't have escalated and gotten to the point where they have their resolution without Christmas Eve dinner happening and Dennis Leary being stuck there longer. Um, yeah. Whereas White Christmas, it feels like they could have done this at any time of year and still had and still would have had the same outcome. So I think the holiday setting in the ref just plays a better, uh, it's, it's just used better in the ref than it is in White Christmas. I agree. So unanimous call. The ref moves on to the finals. I feel good about it. I'm really curious where this next one's going to go. I'm excited about this. It's time for the other part of the semifinals. It is Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale versus A Muppet Christmas Carol. Keith, we got Rizzo the Rat versus A Scary Santa Claus. What are you thinking about here? This one is an easy one for me. Okay, yeah. So the last one I felt a bit more conflicted on. This one, it's a, I think it's the same thing. I know where I'm ultimately going to go, but I, I do feel kind of conflicted. I really liked both of these. So what about you, Austin? Is this another easy one or a hard one? <laughs> it's kind of an easy one for me. I didn't expect Rare Exports to make it this far, so it's it's just such a weird matchup. Yeah, it's a really weird matchup. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I guess we have given our preamble thoughts. Keith, you were the most like very easy for me. So tell us what it is and why. It will be a Muppet Christmas Carol. Whoa. <laughs> Turning the corner. I like it. <laughs> it's a lot more fun. The runtime is not too long for me at all. And I feel like it's just heartwarming, sweet, cute. It's funny. Um, so I definitely will watch this one again as well. So I'm going to vote for a Muppet Christmas Carol. All right. I'll jump in there because. We talked about this at the beginning. I'm always going to give points to movies that do something different. A Muppet's Christmas Carol, all it does is tell us the same traditional Charles Dickens story. It just adds Muppets to it, whereas Rare Exports tells me a new story. It's very confident in its execution. It is a slow burn. It's not a perfect movie. Uh, but for me, Rare Exports is a more enjoyable holiday movie than A Muppet Christmas Carol. So I'll vote for Rare Exports. All right, Matthew. Swing vote. 
Yeah, so this is this is tricky for me. I think um I think you guys are both right. Obviously, I've been I think the highest on Muppet Christmas Carol so far, so I think on the surface it should be an easy vote for me, but yeah, rare exports. I'm trying to think if I do want to give those extra points for being something that is just so different from anything else on our list today. Muppet's Christmas Carol was a cash grab for PBS. <laughs> what? <laughs> how dare you? Austin, think um, of the children. Yeah, how dare you, Scrooge? That's what PBS um, was thinking about when they said, hey, we'll take that Christmas Carol story and put the Muppets in it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Um, I like what Austin said, though, about rare exports, like how confident it is. Like, it doesn't really hold back on any fronts. Like, it is a thriller. It is a mystery. It is a horror movie at times. It is really funny at other times. And, like, there's, like, a fun action scene at the end. So, yeah, it's so weird how they, like, just kind of came out there with all these ideas and kind of nailed it right off the bat. The thing I'm struggling with, obviously, is, is that enough to win or, like, move on to the finals is my question. Like, that was something to get to the semifinals earlier. But now it's like I'm trying to compare that where you have all like the traditional holiday messaging that I love and I love the songs and I love everything about I'm Up at Christmas Carol. But Austin does make a good point. I mean, it's something that, you know, not only have we seen before, but we've seen it on this bracket a few times. So three to be exact. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to do. This might be a little bit different than what we've done in the past on the old brackets. I don't remember how far Scrooge made it in our first year. I don't think that was a finals one. Was that finals? I don't remember. Um. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and lock it in that I think a Muppet Christmas Carol is what I would vote for on like any other matchup on any other bracket we've ever done. Like that, that's what I want to vote for. But I'm going to break the mold a bit. And even though I didn't like rare exports as much as a Muppet Christmas Carol, I'm going to vote for it because I want something in the finals that is wildly different. And I think it deserves some really cool credit for that. Is it like a better holiday movie than a Muppet Christmas Carol? No. I, I don't think so. Not even close, honestly, because, I mean, The Muppet Christmas Carol is that Charles Dickens classic. But I guess it's kind of getting bogged down for me because we've talked about it so much, not only today, but on the years past. So in a, in a weird, different move for the bracket, I'm, I would have voted for The Muppet Christmas Carol, but I'll vote for Rare Exports to get something different in there, something super confident and something that tackles all these different genres. All right. Well, then it sounds like Rare Exports is going to move on to the finals and face the ref to decide the best holiday movie for 2022. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and continue my thought from just a second ago, because I was also thinking in the back of my mind, it doesn't really matter which I vote <laughs> to the finals, because <laughs> I'm feeling strongly about the other one. Are you guys with me on that? I mean, is this going to be one of those easy finals? Are we, are we on the same page there? I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. I think it will be one of those easy finals. As much as I love that where exports told us a new Santa Claus story, I do think kind of like what I talked about last time we talked about the ref, the ref uses its holiday premise better and also tells you a very unique holiday story. Um, so th those two things are going to put it over the edge for me uh, when it goes up against rare exports. Yeah, um, don't ha don't have too much to add to that. I think I'm with you, Austin. I think the way it uses Christmas, I like the the trio of Dennis Leary, uh, Judy Davis, and Kevin Spacey. Um, the fact that they kind of come together and execute that dysfunctional family, like you said, Matthew, a little bit better than Home for the Holidays did, um, really works for me. And like I already said, rare exports. Really, you know, really different movie. And I know that's why it made it up to the top uh, because of how different it is and, and that it's kind of a creepier Santa Claus uh, take. But you can tell Keith is really struggling to be positive on her exports. He did, I not want, he did not want her exports in the final. I am struggling to be positive. And it's not because I didn't like it. It's just because I, I didn't didn't feel that Christmas spirit uh, with it while watching it. Yeah. And yeah. So th that's why the ref gets my vote, too. Yeah. The ref is going to take it from me. I definitely see myself watching that. 
again next Christmas. Yeah, and I'm I'm in complete agreement with you. I don't think I think the thing in terms of this bracket, like not even talking about quality of movies, just in the context of best holiday movie, that's where rare exports get to beat out, even though it is in the finals. Because I didn't really feel much holiday spirit watching it either, even though Santa is a big part of it. So it it gets a little bit of a boost there, but not much else. Um, like that's why I, I kind of gave them up at Christmas Carol <laughs> that pass. I think it 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 could have easily been in the finals for the reasons that you're talking about, Keith. I just wanted to get something different in there. But um, the ref kind of beats it out and on that front too, because the ref is also a very different <laughs> holiday movie than we're traditionally used to. Kind of that super dark comedy and like they really lean into the family dysfunctional thing i mean we see that in a lot of holiday movies like we talked about but this one almost feels like it could be the face of that kind of subgenre of holiday movies or just movies in general i mean they really don't hold back i mean you really feel like oh my god i mean these people are really toxic and fucked up for each other and even by the end when it gets sweet you're still in the back of your mind like i don't think this is gonna last but you're kind of okay with that because at least they'll be more transparent with each other so We'll see how it goes. So it's weirdly like dark and sweet at the same time. Um, yeah, so the ref is certainly different than most holiday movies, but it is so funny. It handles the family stuff not only comedically, but also very seriously and kind of as an adult watching it, I, I certainly got a lot out of it in that sense. And man, I, yeah, I somehow, how did we get the holiday spirit out of us? I don't know. We shouldn't have, but it's so, it's so weirdly heartwarming did. at the end. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, so easy vote for me. So there's a, Another finals done and a unanimous call. Well, we're being very bold in, uh, in 2022 saying the best holiday movie is a Kevin Spacey movie. I honestly, I, I blame Keith for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Keith didn't select this movie, but I don't know. I feel like maybe we should blame you, Keith. That sounds right, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Keith, do you think you would have voted for The Wrath Over Home for the Holidays if that had moved on? Uh, yeah, I think I probably would. You could, you could probably argue that Kevin Spacey is, he could put like his mug shot up and it could, you could just say like, he's the face of like dysfunctional family now, I guess. I think he's Santa. Uh, yeah, don't do that. Somebody overseas in like Croatia will cast him in like some like a low budget <laughs> movie as Santa Claus. <laughs> that's like, that's the only work he's getting now. He has to like go to Italy to film all his movies. <laughs> he'll, he'll put out another creepy uh, Christmas fireplace video oh, again God. this season. I didn't even think about that. Uh, God. I heard my film, The Ref, has recently been rediscovered. Don't you miss yeah, me being the, at the I'm box waiting office? for my Arnie's podcast award. It's like, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Kevin. You're not ever allowed to have one. We're just going to send him a bronze middle finger. That would be terrible if the, if the, if the one actor that would like promote our, promote our podcast is Kevin Spacey. Oh, you imagine? <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful. <laughs> well, I didn't think about that. To be clear, the reason why this movie is good is Dennis Leary, not Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Hundred percent, hundred percent. We love you. We love you, Dennis. We can support him. I think. And come next year, it's like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. The ref. I'm excited about this. This was one that, um, in the lead up, I think last night when the three of us were talking, we were kind of saying like, oh, how are you feeling about the bracket? Like we weren't talking about our specific our specific thoughts on each movie. And Austin said, I have a clear favorite, and I said. I have like four that I would be fine with winning. And most of those four were the ones in our semifinals. Actually, they were they were the four in our semifinals today. Uh, I would have been fine with any of those winning, actually. But when I told Austin, but I do have one that is a new favorite for me. It was also the ref. So I feel good about it winning. I'm really happy with it. The ref, I will absolutely uh, watch again and can't wait to do it, too. Shame here. Yeah. 100%. Oh, show. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing this with a friend, we'd really appreciate that to continue to grow our show. 
Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts it really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back next Tuesday for less traditional holiday fare, but no need to fear, because we're going to be back to talk about the sequel to 2009's holiday season hit, Avatar. This time we're talking about the sequel, evidently 13 years in the making. And my question to you guys is, are you excited at all? Because it is three hours and 12 minutes. I'm not even joking when I say this. Uh, When we put our schedule together for the year at the beginning of 2022, this was my most dreaded week of the entire (laughs) year. I could not care less about this film. Yeah, I'm not too far off from that. I don't know why they insisted on making a second one, but... Are you excited for five more? Are Are they doing that? Yes. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. There's a lot more coming. <laughs> Everybody look forward to that. And lastly, we want to hear from you. So please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us the Arnie's media at gmail.com. What's your favorite holiday movie? Out of all of our selections today, do you think we picked the right winner? Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live in our latest episode. That's right, everybody. We love doing these brackets so much. It's some of our favorite episodes to do. So we hope you enjoyed this one as much as we did recording it. Um, Yeah, that's all I got to say. Happy holidays. Enjoy that time with your family, whether it be positive or dysfunctional (laughs) like our winner today. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. See you. Humbug. (laughs) 